On this edition of the program, we go over some pretty dire election day polls for Joe Biden and ask our new friend Tom Lobianco what's happening with Nikki Haley and who is most likely to be Donald Trump's vice presidential nominee. His number one is pretty interesting. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, V and Craig. everybody to the politics 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 program for february 28th 2024 your old friend justin robert young joining you after a week of travel back in rhq austin texas and we're gonna put this one out a little early before the results of the michigan primary but i want to focus on these Emerson Hill polls that are coming out uh, Tuesday morning. Because I want to focus on that. And then on, on Friday, we'll break down the Michigan stuff just because I don't, I, I don't want to go off half cocked on that. I, I really want to dig into the numbers, but these are, are interesting and I'll go over the top line and then I'll dig a little bit deeper to tell you what I find interesting about it. So they're bad for Joe Biden. And these are, uh, Trump, Biden, RFK Jr., Cornell West, Jill Stein. So everybody that would theoretically be on the ballot. Now, will they all be on the ballot in all these states? We don't know for sure. Jill Stein will. Will Cornell West? We don't know. Will RFK Jr.? We don't know. It looks like for the majority of them, RFK Jr. will, but he still has some hurdles to clear. Well, whether or not he can secure ballot access by secure by getting enough signatures, it's a bit of an uphill climb. but. For right now, let's take a look at it and let's do it with the caveat that RFK Jr. might not, not might not be involved. We'll get back to that in a second. Let, let's do the top line. These are all swing states. Nevada, Trump plus 10. North Carolina, Trump plus 9. Georgia, Trump plus 9. Arizona, Trump plus 6. Pennsylvania, Trump plus 5. Wisconsin, Trump plus 4. Michigan, Trump plus 3. So before we dig into Trump and Biden, let's get back to RFK Jr. Let's clear him out. He is somewhere between six, sorry, five and 8% in each of these states. He is at his highest in Arizona, where he has yet to secure ballot access. And he is at his lowest in North Carolina. Before we go into the Biden Trump numbers, Let's understand that the Kennedy number in each of these polls is more than what each of these states were decided by in 2020. Fill in the standard third parties' jobs are not to win elections for the Republicans and the, and the Democrats. It is up to, to the Republicans and the Democrats to get the votes themselves. You've heard me say it a million times. I don't think anybody who is listening to me would confuse me with an advocate for 
Republican and Democratic dominance or even the idea that RFK Jr. would be taking votes away from either party. These people are seeking another option. They would vote for RFK. That is that according to these polls. So let's dig into the Trump and Biden of it all. The best polling state for Trump is Nevada. I don't, or Nevada, not Nevada, not Nevada, Nevada, Trump plus 10. That's an outlier. Joe Biden won Nevada in 2020, as he did Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Nevada was very close. Donald Trump winning by 10 would be shocking. Now, Nevada is a purple state. It tends to vote blue for governor, or sorry, for Senate. It most recently voted red for governor. They split their two big statewide elections in the midterms. It was not a disaster for the Republicans there, but they couldn't uh, uh, get the blue wave going, or sorry, the red wave going enough to take the Senate. Nevada was one of the reasons why. It is interesting to me that Arizona is at a plus six where Nevada is at a 10. These are two states that are very correlative. They both went for Biden, but they both barely went for Biden in 20. Arizona is a more naturally Republican electorate, but it has not been recently because the Arizona Republican Party is an absolute tire fire. And they are trying their best to hit the beep, 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 reverse on some of their more wild antics over the last 10 years. Probably none more ugly and personal than how disrespectful the animating elements of that party have been to the McCain family. The now deceased John McCain, his widow Sidney McCain, and their daughter Megan McCain. Carrie Lake came out on Twitter Wrote a big, you know, Megan, I think both of our uh, deceased fathers would like it better if we got along. To which Megan responded, no peace, bitch. You know, sometimes you got to say what you got to say. Still, Donald Trump is very popular in Arizona. Is that enough to win? Well, we'll see. Let's do Georgia, North Carolina. They are are very correlated. North Carolina went for Trump in 2020. Georgia, of course, famously very barely went for Biden in 2020. They are both at plus nine. Historically, North Carolina has been a more conservative state. Well, actually, no. Eh, no, North Carolina and Georgia have, have, have flipped. North Carolina went for Joe Biden. Georgia was more conservative. So... If they're both at plus nine, that's interesting. But I want to spend the most time here with this Midwest corridor, this Rust Belt corridor. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. I'm going to combine them with Ohio on the the conservative end and Minnesota on the liberal end and say that these five states tend to be the deciders in our modern map. Used to be states like Ohio and Florida. They were the bellwethers. Now it is these states, all right? 
So Ohio has at this point become a solid red. It is red as red gets. Kool-Aid man red at this point. If a Democrat wins Ohio, that means something, something crazy's happened. If a Republican could win Minnesota, something crazy has happened. Those are the firewalls, really, ideologically. And in between are these very close states that are gradients in between. These three, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Now, Michigan, by the time that you're listening to this, we, we might have already seen what happened to Michigan if Nikki Haley comes, you know, uh, close to her South Carolina margins. If she's closer to 40 than 20, then we, we might have alarm bells for Donald Trump in the general election. Big, big clacks and alarm bells. Because South Carolina is a state that Nikki Haley was the governor. New Hampshire is a state that is far more liberal. Both had crossover votes. It, you know, in New Hampshire, Democrats can't vote for the Republican primary, but they do have a lot of undeclared voters. So it essentially uh, has, there's a big slush pile of people who vote in either party. In South Carolina, Democrats can actually vote in the Republican primary. But Michigan also is a state that we're going to pay a lot of attention to uh, uh, tonight because of Joe Biden. An an uncommitted vote in that primary is being organized because of Joe Biden's stance on Gaza and his reluctance to call for an all-out ceasefire. But yet it's notable that in this poll, this slate of polls, Michigan is Biden's best state. It's Trump plus three, so he's still losing. But it's Trump plus three. Michigan is probably going to be the state that we spend the most time thinking about. Because it's the confluence of a lot of different, very up for, up for discussion variables. The Trump campaign really, really, really believes they're going to make generational inroads into the black and Hispanic community. Specifically, when you're looking at states like Michigan, that matters. Both, or sorry, all three of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania have a lot of Donald Trump's bread and butter. White voters without a college education. Blue-collar voters. And yet, they decided the election in Joe Biden's favor last year. Pennsylvania voted for John Fetterman. Over Mehmet Oz. Is that more about Mehmet Oz? Is it more about John Fetterman? But John Fetterman did it while he had a stroke. They blew out for a Democratic governor, Josh Shapiro, what some would consider to be a presidential pick if Joe Biden were not to make it. And Wisconsin, of course, famously went for Donald Trump in 16, very barely, and went for Hillary, or sorry, went for Joe Biden in 2020. But those, Pennsylvania is the the best state for Trump in this poll, plus five. Wisconsin is Trump plus four. I'm going to end this segment by saying, look, none of this 
is particularly prescriptive. Whenever we look at polls in this context, we want to understand that it is just one piece of data, a flicker in the flames, a sign that if the polling is accurate, which I have seen no pollster left, right, or center say that this is out and out hokum, but that if the election were to happen today, for the record, it's not, then Donald Trump would win by a a pretty historic blowout, at least by recent standards. But we've got a long time. We've got nine months until the election. Somebody could get pregnant today and have the baby on election day. So there was a long time to go between here and there. But Joe Biden really is looking forward to the State of the Union. He went on Seth Meyers so we could prove that he was a lively talker, something that Nate Silver said. If, if Joe Biden can't go and do long, substantive conversations with uh, regular mainstream journalists, then maybe he should step down. Well, a Seth Meyers segment is not exactly sitting down for an hour with CBS, but it is him being on live television, putting himself in front of an audience. He signaled after the show that a ceasefire was coming, at least a temporary one, but also was on the show saying that he's a Zionist. So not exactly the way that you get out the vote in Dearborn, Michigan, but still, he is trying to address these issues. He's going to be at the border this week. He is telegraphing that during his State of the Union, he's going to attack inflation by saying it is the greedy companies that are to blame. These are all issues that he's weak on, either within his own coalition or broadly with independents. He is going to make this case at the State of the Union, and it's going to be because these numbers are stinko malinko. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. It's where you go if you want to support this show. And I mean, I don't know how many times I can tell you. Be like, I mean, I think probably over dozens and dozens of dozens of folks every single week that come on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com because they know what you really know. That it is this time of year where you need the extra two episodes every week where you need the the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday episode, where you need the Thursday episode. If you don't get on it, what are you doing? TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the $3 level. Two bonus podcasts each and every week. Cup of coffee. That's what we're talking about. Cup of coffee every week. If you would buy me a cup of coffee to sit in your car and talk to you, uh, go over there now. Figure it out. Here are some of the stories that we didn't get a chance to deal with during the show. During a pivotal meeting on Tuesday with President Joe Biden and congressional leaders, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson emphatically voiced his intention to avoid a government shutdown this weekend. The discourse, however, underscored a precarious status of Biden's request for Ukraine aid amongst the looming deadlines. With only four days left before a potential partial government funding lapse, optimism was cautiously aired by leaders like the House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell regarding the avoidance of said shutdown. 
The consensus leaned toward the necessity of a stopgap measure to prevent the closure, despite Johnson's previous hesitations toward yet another continuing resolution, which is not popular with many folks on his right flank. The meeting's atmosphere intensified when discussions pivoted to Ukraine aid, revealing stark divisions. Schumer described a moment where all attendees, led by McConnell, pressed Johnson for the critical need of supporting Ukraine, juxtaposing Johnson's prioritization of border security. His focus notably comes after Johnson's rejection of a bipartisan Senate border bill, complicating the passage of the Senate-approved $95 billion foreign aid bill. Johnson's stance, coupled with his call for Biden to take executive action on border security and his non-urgent approach to Ukraine aid, underscores the challenging path ahead for Congress. And that's before we get into the fact that Johnson has impeached Secretary Mayorkas of the Biden administration and is currently working to impeach President Biden himself. So, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how is the play? That being said, members of the right are not happy in the House. Chip Roy going on Twitter yesterday signaling that Speaker Johnson will indeed try to push a continuing resolution. Terrence Bradley, the former law partner and divorce lawyer of Nathan Wade, a top prosecutor in the case against former President Donald Trump for election interference in Georgia, has been compelled to testify more detailed testimony about Wade's romantic involvement with Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis. This development emerged after Judge Scott McAfee ruled that Bradley could divulge further information without breaching attorney-client privilege, marking a significant turn in these proceedings. The defense positions Bradley as a pivotal witness in their effort to disqualify Willis's office from Trump's case, suggesting that his testimony could challenge the timeline of Wade's relationship with Willis. According to the, to the defense, Bradley texted one of the defense attorneys that Willis and Wade, quote unquote, absolutely were dating before he was named and further that if pressed, they would, quote unquote, deny it. Both Willis and Special Prosecutor Wade acknowledged their past relationship, but maintained it commenced after Wade's November 2021 appointment to the Trump investigation, asserting no conflict of interest. The anticipation around Bradley's forthcoming specifics in his testimony adds a layer of intrigue to the efforts aimed at disqualifying Willis from the case. I watched a significant portion of the cross-examination, and Bradley did his level best to say that he was speculating in those text messages. Whether or not that will be compelling to the judge, we will see. Macy's has announced a significant restructuring plan, revealing intentions to shut down 150 stores by the end of 2026, which translates to over 30% of its its current locations. The decision becomes amid mounting pressures from investors, including Arkhouse Management, which has been advocating for the sale of the entire company. In a bold move last week, Arkhouse nominated nine candidates to Macy's board following the rejection of its $5.8 billion takeover bid. The strategic shift, dubbed a bold new chapter by Macy's, aims to refocus the company toward luxury segments and plans to open 15 new Bloomingdale's and 30 Bloomer Cree stores within the next three years. Despite those ambitious expansion plans for its high-end brands, Macy's shares have dipped 
2% over 2024, leaving the company with a market capitalization of $5.3 billion, reflecting a more than 20% decrease over the past five years. The move marks a pivotal moment for Macy's as it navigates through the challenges of the retail landscape. Add to that news that one of the locations they will be closing down is the, the signature San Francisco location in Union Square in downtown. This is a key element of that part of San Francisco and has garnered a lot of reaction, not only for the challenging state of retail, but also the city of San Francisco. That's your update. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go. Support us. Three bucks a week. Two bonus episodes. And now, to Tom Lobianco. Joining me is Tom Lobianco. He is uh, formerly, he's a refugee of of The Messenger, (laughs) which I'm going to have to spend some time talking to you about, but now you have a... Join the world of uh, independent reporting and journalism, and you are a credit to it. Uh, before we go Thanks, any sir. further, let's let's uh, talk about that. Where can people find your work these days? Yes, of course. Uh, it's called Twenty Four Sites. Our new website here. It's, uh, it's the number two four twenty four, and then S I G H T. Clever little play on words. Mm-hmm. Focused on the critical dynamics shaping the race for the White House. Here, uh, go to twenty four site dot news. Uh, sign up. Um, it is uh, we're uh, we're on Substack. Um, I do a, a daily news rundown, the twenty four seven. That part is free. Um, our reporting, however, is behind the paywall because yeah. uh, we need to get fed. People gotta <laughs> eat. People gotta eat. Uh, uh, without a doubt. And and let me let me. Uh, uh, I w- we will not spend a ton of time on this, but mm-hmm. I always joke on the show that as journalists. Uh, the number one story that we all universally really love the most is journalism. And so since you came out yes. of uh, uh, th- this absolute fiasco, which has gotten probably more ink about its ending than it did uh, during <laughs> uh, uh, its, its, its yeah. run through. Uh, can you just tell people uh, about y- your experience? This is a very, very highly capitalized website, has a <laughs> glittering list of talent, and then it's gone, literally gone, Within eight months, the archives deleted. The website oh. vanished as if it never existed. Uh, uh, tell me a little bit about your experience with that. Whew. Well, I'll start by saying if you've got $50 million, call me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I've got some different ideas about how to use it, and, and we will put, put out a good product with it. Um, I mean, you know, it's sad, frankly, because yeah. uh, it's, it's terrible. Because, you know, look, we, the reporters, the journalists, you know, we came from a number of publications, you know, across the span, you know, a lot, obviously a lot, of po- a lot of folks from the New York Post, a lot of folks from Politico. Mm-hmm. I was at Yahoo News before that. Um, folks from The Hill, CNN, you name it. And tons of top talent uh, in there. And we broke some really big stories. You know, I remember mm-hmm. when we started in May of last year, <laughs> we just... We used to no. The messenger was not even indexed on the Google. <laughs> it was not like you could not Google it. No, it, it did not exist yeah. at that point. Like you know, it, and I remember I was on CNN uh, with Jim Acosta. It was after um, the the Joni Ernst uh, roast and ride back. I think it was June of last year out in Iowa. Yep. And um, somebody, the whoever wrote the script, um, 
you know, said, you know, Tom Lobianco, national politics reporter with uh, the messenger out of like it was like Dubuque, Iowa or something. And yeah. I mean, that that was the messenger that existed. That was it. Know. Yeah. But, you know, we put it on the map and yeah. And, you know, chasing clicks. And I, I, I mean, it, you know, trying to look for a silver lining here. Sure. Um, you know, chasing clicks seems to be declining as a way of making money, which mm-hmm. is a good thing. Um, I mean, I think that's healthy for our country. A large, uh, for a, on a big picture, good thing. Not, not, not yeah. a good thing for the amount of talent Ugh. that you guys had there at the Messenger. <laughs> um, well, you know, I'll say this, and I mean, this is, you know, something I was going through. I was in the first round of layoffs um, mm-hmm. back at the beginning of January. And there was a hope that, uh, you know, by, you know, letting go of, you know, some folks on the payroll, that that would, you know, create some um, um, some buoyancy for everyone yeah. else um, to uh, to survive. Obviously, that did not end up happening. Um, and the I mean, the fiscal situation internal, it was just not great. We had a lot. We had two giant empty offices, one off of K Street, an entire floor on K Street in uh, downtown Washington and an entire floor in midtown Manhattan. Um, I Which are cheap, even even these no. days, even these days uh, where you can get them at a discount. They are not cheap. <laughs> it was. Yeah. And, um, you know, as we when it went down, I afterwards I was trying to figure out what to do, whether to, you know, try to go back into a you know, quote unquote regular newsroom. Yep. Um, and, you know, I looked at this and, and I said, you know, it's not just us. I mean, the messenger is it was a spectacular collapse. And yeah. And which is sad because, you know, we were reaching a point where, you know, we we're starting to get a lot of notice. We were established. We were showing up playbook, you know, on air. Um, we, you know, we established and that and that was us. We did that. The reporters, yeah. the journalists, oh, yeah. the editors, you know, we put you guys it were breaking map. the news. You guys, I mean, this this was this yes. is a this is a, a scoop driven industry. And you guys were bringing yes. the heat. Yes, you know, we were doing great. Um, and I looked at that and I was just I was like, you know, if we can do that for people that, you know, want to make tons of money or, you know, return on investment. I mean, you'd have serious journalism, you know, our, our reporting about the 2024 campaign um, matched with I mean, these were literal stories that were being put on the website to drive traffic, um, you know. Uh, I think there's like a viral TikTok post about whether eating eating bee pollen makes your breast go, grow bigger. Yeah, um, that was a big performer on the Messenger website. And yeah. as I was looking at this, well, you know what to do next. I was like, well, you know, maybe we can take the serious reporting, sell that to an audience that yeah. that, that values this, and we can forego the uh, the TikTok insanity. Uh, and that's what we're doing right now. Well, Tom, uh, for however long you are here with the rest of us beyond the wall, the feral wildlings of uh, uh, independent <laughs> journalism, uh, we welcome you. And, and I think you're going to do a great job because uh, Thank you, sir. Uh, at, at, at the end of the day, all that matters is actual content. And if you can yes. cut the overhead of all the BS, then I think it still is a profitable, uh, a profitable way to make a living. So let's get into that. Yes. Uh, what is your pet theory 
of why Nikki Haley is still in this mm. race, because it seems to be the 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 new uh, gossip online is, well, you know, it's for 28. She's stealth running for VP. This is really just about as long as the money from either Democrat or never Trump donors are coming in, you might as well keep taking it and then roll it into something down the road. What do you what, what makes the most sense to you? You know, um, this is something I, I, you know, when when I was writing the the Pence biography and you know going through this when it came out about four years ago, mm-hmm. um, going through the process of researching this and um, you know writing about his machinations back then um, really helped me understand this now because you know very often it's not one clear trajectory; it's about creating opportunities. She absolutely could run in twenty twenty eight. She could be positioning herself to be the running mate. I mean, in a, in, a, in a very real sense. And, you know, you have to look at how transactional Donald Trump is. I mean, the guy placed the kiss of death uh, on um, the, uh, Ron DeSantis for months and months and months. And that kiss yep. of death uh, did not work. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a hell of a kiss. Uh, yep. uh, and until it did. And then he's like, OK, this guy is cool. He's on the team. Yeah. Um, so, you know, sheer transactionalism, um, nothing new in politics, of course. Yeah. Um, so potential there. Um, maybe she wants to be a leader of a post-Trump Republican Party. I mean, it's not, you know, you look at the numbers coming out of South Carolina and there is a sharp, there's a distinct plurality of Republicans and independents who vote Republican who just will never go with Trump. and. That is a problem. If you're the, if you're Trump, of course, it's a you know central problem. But for the Republican Party writ large, you know, yeah. those people don't show up to the polls. That hurts everybody. Um, so all of these things are options that are open to her. And on the other side of the ledger, she's getting the money coming in. The support is yeah. staying with her. It's not going away. There's no incentive to leave. So, you know, if you if you view this, you know, through the through a carrot of a stick dynamic, everything is saying, yes, stay in. Except for getting blown out by 20 points in your home state where you were a two time <laughs> governor. And I, that's 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 the thing is, is like right now. And I don't look politics is constantly mm-hmm. evolving. It's constantly changing. Our primary system has changed tremendously, even mm-hmm. over the last 50 years since it was established. But normally, at least in my lifetime, that is a a black mark that that you don't want on your resume, because if you are going to run going forward, you want to prove that there is electoral viability in your home state with the people that know you the best. Yeah. And and losing by 20 is usually something that you want to avoid. Uh, look, if, if for, for however she's going to do and, and whatever a figurehead she is for either never Trump Republicans or in in. Uh, primaries where you can cross over Democrats, she is going to lose and she's going to get the the, the embarrassments Mm -hmm. are are only going to compound leading up to Super Tuesday where she's going to pretty much be mathematically out of the running. So shame in politics is something we've talked a lot about. Is there just no electoral shame, even from people that aren't Donald Trump? I mean, you got sitting members of Congress being recorded, um, you know, performing sexual acts and Beetlejuice uh, uh, musicals. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think the answer is no, there is no shame. Um, now, that said, and, and, you know, this is going into this cycle. Yeah. Was something that you know we were all looking at 
you know, look at um, I do think that we're still heading towards a, a post-Trump Republican Party. I don't think, you know, there used to be this discussion of elasticity, whether things revert, quote, you know, quote unquote, revert back to normal. That's that's yeah. not going to. Happen. I don't know. That is not, <laughs> you know, the the populist, the uh, this uh, this this rejiggering around um, uh, around trade, blue collar, um, those issues, kind of the end of um uh, you know, economic conservatives inside the uh, the party. Uh, I think that's fixed. And Nikki Haley really represents a lot of that. I'm not sure she's the person that would actually carry this forward. Um, but you but you see people testing the bounds. You see people testing the limits and again, creating um, creating uh, pathways uh, uh, to where they can run again. You know, remember, this is. Um, you're always running for president. You know, the old joke is that, you know, every time every time a, a U.S. senator wakes up in the morning and looks in the mirror, the first thing they see is a president. Yes. And, yeah. um, you know, that's true of the House now, as it is, um, mm-hmm. and really everywhere else. Um, and I think you see a lot of people trying to figure out right now what it's not only what makes the Republican base tick. You, you know, you look at the exits that came out of um, out of South Carolina and, you know, of course, you know, we've, we've been doing this a while. You, you don't you don't really pin it on hard numbers. You kind of pin it on feels and vibes and, you know, yeah. general direction. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people that will not vote for Trump. Um, they just won't go for him. And there was an interesting um, overlap. It was a, it was a question of do you consider yourself to be a, a MAGA uh, Republican. And that yeah. came out to be about half yes, half no versus how locked in you are for Trump. And I think the number was like something around 60 percent locked in for Trump, um, even 65 percent, something like that. Um, that soft part, that soft part that does not distinctly identify with his movement, um, that's an area for growth if you're a Republican. Um you know, again, there's just no reason for Haley to get out. I'm not sure if she's the one who carries it forward, but we're still in this um, this uh, this uh, this interim period right now inside the party where it's, things are still shaking out. It is very strange right now. Uh, strange would be one way to put it. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, and, and I do think that going forward, if the promise of Haley is that she is able to bring a lot of that never Trump vote back to the party. I do think I agree with you. There's no going back to Mitt Romney like that. That that is that is that is in the past. We are we are we are beyond that. There is an element of populism in America first that is not only uh, from Trump but has now cemented itself within the Republican Party. And yep. that's the, the when if you say okay, well, all, all the signs that are coming in for Haley say stay in the race, alienating herself with that audience. And and yes, Donald Trump is transactional, and Donald Trump could at some point uh, a few months from now be up on stage in Columbia, South Carolina, announcing his vice president, <laughs> Nikki Haley. But if that doesn't happen, I I do wonder going forward uh, uh, in this process, spending that money and making it a, a, a bigger thing does continue to alienate Nikki Haley to the point where, where you do cross that Rubicon yeah. from like, you know, Lindsey Graham's probably on on the MAGA side of, of, of the river. <laughs> Nobody really likes him on the MAGA side, but he's still in the tent for whatever reason. Uh, and then and then you have like like the Liz Cheney's and the Mitt Romney's that are on the other yeah. side of it. And, you know, Nikki Haley's 
She's danced. She's gone back and forth. She has a flexibility. <laughs> but I, I, I mag- wonder. Mega curious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she has, she's been able to tap dance back and forth. Now, one of the things that you've, that you've recently writ, uh, wrote about on 24 site is the, uh, the VP race, the idea of who mm. will be Donald Trump's vice president. I believe you and I are in agreement that Donald Trump is far more transactional and, and I would say strategic when it comes to his vice presidential picks. And I think people uh, initially think that it's just going to be the person that pledges the most fealty uh, to him. Uh, Who do you put at the top of that list? So uh, Ben Carson, he's number one. Ben Carson. Ben Carson. That is everybody's reaction. Off the books. Ben Carson. I had had, had a fan meetup uh, during the election night and uh, there was one of the guys that showed up. He said, uh, he's like, man, I've made a bunch of money because the British betting books for American politics <laughs> are always like a week after anything that happens. And so we had me go through the vice presidential and I'm like picking out like I'm like, all right, like deep value, like Byron Donalds is probably a deep value pick that has more. It's priced in better than what it is now. Uh, ben Carson is way deep value. Ben Carson <laughs> Ben Carson is like 120 to oh, one. Yes. Oh, give me, give me the pitch on, on Ben Carson. Man, I just got, you know, I'll, I'll hop off on a tangent here and then we'll, we'll come back to Carson. Um, the betting books are insane. There's just, ridiculous. Are, we, ridiculous. are we allowed to curse on this? Can I curse sure. here? Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll bleep it. Uh, all right. This is some of the dumbest I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just spectacularly stupid. You know, I was at a uh, conference, uh, this nationalist conservative conference back in September of 2022, uh-huh. um, Turnberry Resort in Miami, North Miami. Um, and I was there to see um, uh, Peter Thiel headlined, um, Ron DeSantis headlined, and Rick Scott headlined. Mm-hmm. And I saw Peter Thiel, who's one of the most influential figures in American politics right now, yep. um, emphasized. The, and, you know, I would put the, the, the exclamation point here by the fact that he's saying he's retreating from politics. Yep. That's always a big tell. Um, citing predict it, which is famously wrong. I mean, I would not like really. And. You know, and then I see this Michelle Obama stuff crop up and, you know, people are like, oh, it's going to be Hillary Rodham Clinton. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like you left out Gerald Ford. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey, hey, look, look, like Carter's still ticking. So, you yeah, know, right. at, any, at any moment, tanned, <laughs> ready and rested. <laughs> ben Carson, the, here's that. My absolute first reaction is exactly that. Yeah, yeah. the first person who told me that a couple months ago, I'm like, representative? Um, is there a Senator Carson that I'm missing? I feel yeah, like yeah. Wait, Ben Carson. Like ben Ben Carson, Cuba Gooding Jr. in the movie Ben Carson? Like that, that's yeah. Ben Carson. Yeah. Yes. Yes, gifted veep steaks. Yep. He, he, <laughs> you know, he, he the the way that I do these and, and try to test things to see, you know, you know, what's, who's viable, who's resonating. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's really true of all, of all political circles, especially, uh, you know, Trump's, uh, uh, organization, his world, Trump world. Um, you, you see which names come up independently in, uh, different corners and Carson comes up, um, pretty routinely 
from uh, different factions inside of Trump world. And there's a number of reasons. Um, number one, he, he's a black man. And there yeah. is a there's a big effort right now by Trump and his team to to eat into uh, uh, the support for Biden among um, black men and Latino men. Yeah. You, know, you, you see this. Reflected and that, and that is and that was in 2020 as well. You know, the, the first yeah. Super Bowl commercial they ran was for criminal justice reform. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, so potentially uh, Ben Carson or potentially Tim Scott works there. Um, the other thing is evangelicals. You still have to play to evangelicals, um, you know, large, far and away. Um, Christian right voters, uh, self-identifying evangelicals, uh, conservative evangelicals, I should note, um, voted with Trump. Um, But Carson was profligate on the trail in Iowa. Um, He speaks their language. Um, Yes. And the other part of this is, you know, you have to look at where Trump is now. I mean, he is his career has been politics for eight years now. Mm-hmm. And he is steeped in politics and he understands the, the levers, the machinations. This is a totally different beast than 2016 when, you know, slapdash effort where the, the, the three big picks you had remaining were Chris Christie, Newt Gingrich and Mike Pence. Yeah, um, this is a, a very studious. Um, he's leveraging it well to to get people to play to him. Um, and Carson fits with Trump. He meshes with Trump on a, on a few important points. And this is what I hear repeatedly from my Trump sources. Um, he, there is a man who is guaranteed to never upstage Donald Trump. Nope. Nope. No, <laughs> never. Gonna he is Ben Carson. Like, like the, the, the arrested development Milford man will be neither seen nor heard. <laughs> yes. Um, and Trump, you know, I was talking with somebody uh, who used to be in his administration is still um, still in, in, in touch with him and his world. Um, Trump felt burned by Mike Pence. Um, he felt like he was disloyal to him for, you know, honoring the Constitution instead of honoring Trump. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as as bizarre as that sounds, uh, you know, what we're looking at is how that person, how Trump is going to make this determination. And, you know, I think this is why, in particular, I don't put people on the list like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, you know, they'll they'll float themselves for vice president. Yeah. Um, but all my intelligence is that he does not want, uh, you know, what they used to say, another pirate on the ship. He's yeah. got that. He is that. Yeah, he's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Carson's at the top. He has a lot of support from different corners of Trump world. Um, And I ranked him above Tim Scott um, because Carson has that has a longer standing relationship with Trump. Uh, Scott's a new entry into Trump world. Yeah. And again, remember how Trump operates. New people get a flood of attention. A lot of love. A lot of love. That's right, baby. A lot of love when you start. And after the love bombing stops, it tends to fade away. Yeah. So, so my, uh, covering the Rock Hill rally in South Carolina, the final big rally, uh, mm. the, the, the two things based on what you said that, that struck me, number one, I wonder, you know, in that limited list, Donald Trump did have to pick from the scratch and dent bin in 2016, but he <laughs> picked the evangelical. 
because he knew that he needed yes. evangelicals in 2016. Yes. I was at that rally, 6,000 people, standing room only, in a state that is heavily mm. evangelical. He announced that he backed IVF, which in another world would be a mm. controversial thing with evangelicals. And they cheered like he cured cancer. Like, wow. I, I, I don't know if he needs to cement that. I, I think that the evangelical movement now is kind of the dog that caught the car, the animating issue that drove them <laughs> yes. for for years is now no longer a thing. Uh, uh, we saw three evangelical lane candidates, including Tim Scott, drop out very early. Mike Pence, Asa Hutchinson, and mm -hmm. and and him. None of them could get any real traction. Uh, uh, we've seen the the median line of what the Republican stance on a post row world continue to slide further from where it would be evangelically mm -hmm. to the point where Trump has gotten away with not saying anything about it, which is, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Uh, so I wonder if evangelicals are the, the priority this time now, now to the Tim mm. Scott thing, boy, love bomb uh, uh, without, without question, Tim Scott got the uh, superstar speaking slot uh, right before Trump in that rally. And Trump, in one of the most telling, sometimes you can say things that you are uh, you mean as a compliment to other people, but really they're a commentary on yourself, said Tim Scott uh, was better at talking about him, Trump, <laughs> than Scott was at talking about himself, and then clarified it by saying, and that shows he has good character. He doesn't like talking about himself at a Trump rally. Donald Trump. Uh, Hashtag never surrender. Exactly. Right. The man who has built an entire brand on talking about himself. So uh, 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 Tim Scott is somebody that I, I agree with you. I think right mm. now coming out of the halo of South Carolina, Tim Scott was a big get for them. So he wasn't going with Haley who he had a lot of connections to. Uh, uh, he was a, a kinder, gentler face. But mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know if, if, if the love affair lasts. I, I, I agree with you that, that the Tim Scott buzz is a little overblown. Yeah. You know, if you and in building on that here, um, you see Christy Nome repeatedly. So she's another yeah. person right at the top of the list. Um, and I actually moved her up as I was drafting this. Um, I had her at five and I bumped her up to three after talking with um, a good source who, you know, on that point, um, the there's it's it's not been um, a sugar rush for her. Yeah. Um, she's mentioned by Trump repeatedly, and you know Trump will throw out canards out there. You know we saw um, what about five days ago or so um, when he said his own shortlist, he included a number of, a number of Floridians on there, which yeah. you know, which more than likely would not work because of the Twelfth Amendment and the way um, electors have to cast their votes for president and vice president. Um, now it's not you know not impossible, yeah. but it makes it a, a, a bigger hurdle to clear. It would, it would add it to the pile of the constitutional questions we have surrounding Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's right like. Uh, if you told me that if you told me that Martians riding a unicorn uh, on the back of a comet <laughs> dropped in tomorrow and uh, landed on RFK Jr.'s catamaran and we've got yeah. some Instagram person as president, eh, 
you know, eh, whatever. Who knows? Who knows? I think it'd be good for clicks. It'd be good for clicks. <laughs> um, you know, Christy Dome keeps coming up um, routinely. And this is um, there's a mechanical aspect to this. Um, you know, attempts to win back suburban women. This is yes. a critical weakness in the Trump campaign. It really has been the entire time. You know, if you look back to, I mean, my God, you could actually say back to the inauguration itself. I mean, there was kind of a novelty vote for Trump in 2016. But the day after the inauguration, uh, you have uh, the women's march, you know, the uh, the, yeah. the, the pink, uh, the pink pussy hats that were yep. you know yep. out there, um, a, a huge crowd. And that has always been a critical weakness for Trump and his coalition. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I wrote about this over at Yahoo um, about uh, Javanka, Jared and Ivanka's efforts to replace um, replace Mike Pence on the ticket with Nikki Haley. Yeah. Uh, for that reason, that was the calculation at, at back then. Um, Christy Noem could fit that bill. Um, governor, young uh, mother, um, and again, staunchly loyal to Trump, longstanding relationship. Um, and he repeatedly brings her up. Uh, all those things keep her right at the top of the list, just below Tim Scott. So uh, I I totally agree with that. And for me, I think that if you are going to look at the most uh, coalitional need for Trump 2020, I would put uh, suburban women above uh, above evangelicals, uh, specifically because not only has it always been a persistent issue, but that issue has been supercharged post-ops. You need somebody that's going to be able to at least for for folks who, including that Haley contingent, we're going to find out exactly how holdable their noses are in terms of a, a Biden versus Trump binary. Uh, I think that it's possible. I don't think that those people that that 40 percent, I think it is more telling that those Democrats and independents made sure that they voted in the Republican side mm, and not yes. the Democratic side, because it does. Yes. To me, it does say, all right, well, we, we might be less into Biden than we are now, but there's no doubt in every single Beyond the polls and every single one of these elections mm-hmm. that have happened post-Dobbs, Democrats have had an advantage because of it. The gnome pick, I think, would be directly challenged by Elise Stefanik in the House, who is the other yes. name you hear when you talk about addressing yes. this. Uh, uh, for me, I've always thought that that Kirstie Gnome, it'll be a little bit more serious. The more you're going to have to see her. At, at soccer practices and pink berries. So she's a little more <laughs> suburbs than Sarah mm-hmm. Palin, you know, uh, 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 but uh, Stefanik is the other name there. Uh, uh, why do you put Gnome ahead of Stefanik right now on your, on your calculations? Uh, largely on the Intel I've been gathering from my sources, um, uh, repetition, um, uh, you know, Stefanik has kind of climbed the list recently. Um, and, you know, one reason I um, I think I put Stefanik. Oh, boy, I think either fourth or fifth it was like right after J.D. Vance and Vance sits in there for a different reason. Um, but because Stefanik has risen very fast in this in this beef stakes, 
Um, she does have a political team that uh, around her supporting her that is ensconced in Trump world. So that always helps when you have your people, you know, and the same thing is true for Noam. Of course, she has Corey Lewandowski, who is also a fixture in Trump world. Yep. Um, Stefanik um, has a longtime operative, uh, uh, Garrett Ventry, um, who uh, you know is a fixture inside the Trump world. Um and, and uh, 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 Kimberly Guilfoyle on her podcast with with Lee Stefani yes, uh, pointing out yes. that she is her pick for VP or at least heavily yes. that. Yes. And, you know, just to go back to Carson here for a second, that is why I put him at the top, because it's not just a single pocket in Trump world, but there's enough yeah. different factions that talk about him. And I think that's a critical weakness for uh, for Scott here, too. He's a new entry into there. Um, Stefanik, um, she has the, the street cred, so to say, with Trump and the, the MAGA world. Um, you know, she was quiet through Trump Russia. Um, yep. you know, I, I remember covering her during the house intelligence, um, uh, hearings, um, back when she was an establishment, you know, pro Intel hawk on these things. Yeah. Who also did her level best to run away from us. Um, (laughs) (laughs) which I also would add is true of Will Hurd, who is a, you know, who is a, you know, a a mainstay on the, on the media circuit now, but was a, was a ghost when it came uh, to answering questions in the moment. Um, uh, but since then, you know, she became an ardent uh, supporter of Trump, big defender through the first impeachment, the second impeachment, um, she helped when she ousted uh, Liz Cheney, who be, who yep. transformed into after January 6th, transformed into one of Trump's biggest opponents. Um, and then she's had a number of moments since then. The uh, the college presidents, um, you know, regarding uh, Israel, Hamas yep. um, and uh, a few other, you know, kind of viral moments. Now, the. The the ding against her that I hear is, and this is true of all of them, um, you don't want to become Steve Bannon. You don't want to draw too much of the spotlight. Yeah. Um, you know, there is this dynamic where Trump, you know, often says he likes people from central casting. He likes people that look good on television. I mean, this is always true of Trump, um, but you can't draw too much of the spotlight. Uh, and that 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 kind of hurts her right now. Yeah. And that yeah, look, uh, uh, talk about the the dumb prediction markets. Anybody who puts any kind of money on Vivek Ramaswamy for VP for the exact reason that you just mentioned, uh, he likes him on television, wouldn't be nowhere near the White House. I, I want to get to J.D. Vance in a mm-hmm. second, but something that is a reality about this, because Donald Trump would this would be his his last term, no matter what, mm-hmm. because of uh, uh, the way that things work. Uh, the vice presidential pick would be looked more than ever as a a, a ramp to the presidency because it's not going to be two yeah. terms. It would be one term. And usually the way that this works, it's pretty much you're only the vice president to the midterms. And then at that point, you're essentially the front runner for the nomination coming out of uh, that, that the, the end of that term. It sounds like with the Carson pick, Trump is saying no. I, I am not going to be you're not going to be uh, ramping off my back for the presidency. There'll be a whole <laughs> primary for that and everybody can kiss the ring then. But I don't want to put somebody young. I don't want to put somebody flashy. <laughs> I don't want to put somebody that is that is uh, going to immediately be a front runner for the nomination. And everyone else we mentioned, mm. except for Ben Carson, 
would fit that. That is fascinating. <laughs> no coasting. Uh, no yeah, coasting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, this or when when they took Pence and, you know, get to this, the, the, the 180 in dynamics here with how Trump was his campaign, I was doing this election. Um, you know, when they took Pence in 2016, it was from a position of weakness inside the Republican Party. Now it's from a position of strength. Um, but, you know, again, the calculations are very much the same. You know, Pence's people, you know, I wrote about this in Piety and Power. Um, on that critical night, um, Access Hollywood, when he, you know, Trump, the tape comes out and yep. boasting about popping Tic Tacs and molesting women. Um, yeah. He says that um, Pence and Karen Pence um, refused to get out. They spent a lot of time praying in the, you know, over the governor's mansion in Indiana. Um, and the, their prayers say they need to stick with them. Um, and the, the political dynamic that was in play back then, it's the same dynamic in play here is that. Um, and number one, there was an expectation that Trump would lose, thereby catapulting his running mate to the front of the pack yeah. for the next cycle. Um, same thing is true here. Trump, if Trump loses, whoever the running mate is, uh, uh, you know, assuming that they don't do something spectacularly ridiculous, upstaging Trump, um, you know, in terms of ridiculousness, um, it would be at the front of the pack, would be a leading contender in 28 or you know, you know, in all likelihood, every expectation as the Constitution dictates, there's only one more term. If term yeah. if he actually gets in, um, then, you know, is that the front of the pack again? It is a, a very, very consequential pick. So you mentioned J.D. Vance and we'll get you out of here mm -hmm. on this. Uh, uh, what is the story that would be told with J.D. Vance? Because he is neither black nor a suburban woman. <laughs> um, ex explainer in chief. Um, okay. you know, the, the Trump splainer, uh, you know, and that, that, you know, these are all fa facets of the way Pence was, um, uh, very close with junior in his world. Um, and he's young. Um, he can, you know, he put a little bit of polish on Trump, uh, you know, and he has been stepping up more recently to, uh, speak on Trump's behalf in the Capitol, um, you know, the big tell is always, uh, you know, which lawmakers run away from us and which uh, which ones we've run away, run away from. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Vance uh, loves talking with the press and defending Trump. Um, but I'm not sure that he really adds anything. And if you know, if you're going into the general election, you have some critical deficits, especially with suburban women. I, I don't see where that helps them at all. I guess the biggest thing would be he is a. I saw the light never Trumper. And that mm -hmm. was a liability for him when he was running in Ohio, especially through that, that uh, uh, primary that he had. But in, in the presidency, if, if you want somebody that's like, well, Hey, look, let me show you exactly how you hold your nose. You take your thumb and your forefinger and you, you know, <laughs> like he, he would, he would be able, he would be able to do that because he has a story of, Hey, here's what I thought about him. And here's why I now think differently. And, and, uh, uh, Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, which is really what the job of the vice president's going to be anyway. So no matter no matter who it is, no matter he could who yeah, he could become the Trump's planner to the Acela corridor. That, that would be something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and who knows exactly how much that uh, that that will uh, that will factor into it. But uh, I'll tell you what, uh, we're, we're, no matter what, this VP is not just a normal Veep stakes. There, yes. there is there is a reality here of. 
uh, proximity to power that uh, will not only factor into the selection, but also then the consequence of how all this is going to going to come out. And you can find all of the minute-by-minute minute information by going over right now to 24site.news, signing up there, getting Tom Lobianco's excellent, excellent reporting. Thank you so much for joining us, Tom. Thank you, Justin. Thank you so much. And that will wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you'd like to thank our new best friend, Tom Lobianco, and I thought he was great. He'll be back on for sure. Head on over to letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. If you'd like to find, follow, and share video clips of the show, on TikTok, it is Justin R. Young. On Instagram, it is Justin R. Young. Our YouTube is Politics, Politics, Politics. Our Twitter for the show is PX3Tweets. And for me, it is Justin R. Young. You can send me an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can find me live streaming, not only on Twitter and YouTube, but also our Twitch, px3live.com. If you want to share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, it is letter P, letter X, number three, podcast.com. Of course, you can support us. With a one-time donation, PayPal, paypal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And you can send me anything you'd like in the mail. Post office box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can only get our bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And you get that plus your name right at the end of the show on our Titanic $10 tier, including the following Sam, John, Niemeister, Edwin, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Brian, Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Checkers, Sarah Jeannie, Spider, Matthew, Dr. G, Dustin, Brad, D-Laser, Nick, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Jen, Alo, D Really, Andrew, Lisa, Fat Tony's PJs from New York, Devon the CFP, Gloria Young, my mom, Gray Zone, Peepaw, Jay, Neil, Yield Pinball Shop, John, DP4, Bongo, Neil, his nerdiness, Charles, Audrey, Stole Adler, Spot, Darren, Idris, Arslanian. Berkeley, Stephen, Nomadic, Terran, Molly's Delightful Demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, and Paul. Of course, the only way that you can do that, head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That'll wrap it up here on this episode. We will be back with you on the free feed Friday with a returning Ryan Macbeth. A lot of folks enjoyed his time on the show Last time, and this time I brought him on to help with something that is very much in the news, and that is war crimes. What do we mean when we say war crimes? What exactly does it refer to? What are the mechanisms for punishment? If you, like me, have heard the term far more than you've understood it, I think you will very much enjoy it. That's Friday. Till then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this is the only show that dares discuss all three.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.